Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Why is the church still relevant today? Why why hasn't the church of God just faded out throughout history? I mean, it's over 2,000 years now that this institution called the church is still lingering around, still doing, still building, not even lingering, still building, still prospering, still thriving. Why hasn't the church been squashed? You know, if the devil were so powerful, why hasn't he just squashed the church? If the, this is what Charles Spurgeon used to say, if the church of God could be destroyed, it would have been destroyed by now. If the church could be destroyed, it would have been destroyed by now. Jesus said in the book of Matthew in chapter 16, verse 18, I believe it is, Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, what was the rock? A lot of you know Catholics believe the rock to be Peter and the popes and the lines of the popes. But the rock that Jesus was referring to is not the pope. The rock that Jesus was referring to is in fact the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because remember, that's exactly what Jesus, uh, what Peter had confessed prior to this statement. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter replied, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, Peter, and upon that rock, the rock that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God, upon the rock of that confession, the unshakableness of your faith in God, upon that rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail, will never be able to snuff out the flame, the eternal flame, of the church because the church is not being built by a man the church is not being built by a government the church is not being built by an empire the church is not being built by a politician the church is not being built by a preacher the church is being built by God himself who uses people like you and I to get the work done Jesus said I will build my church and the government can try and take it out A virus can try and shut it down. And any other devil, demonic tactics can try to sweep the rug under the church and cause it to trip and fall. But the church will continue to prevail, continue to prosper, continue to increase, continue to advance until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's prophecies, and we're going to read about it. There's prophecies that tell you that. This is not my wishful thinking. This isn't me hoping, because I'm a preacher, that this thing's going to keep on at least until I go home. No, this is prophetic agenda. This is God's end-time prophetic agenda for the church. So the church is not built by a human. You know, in Psalm 127, the Bible says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. So if God wasn't building his church, we everything we do, this broadcast, my travel schedule, doing the crusade, the investments. You know, when we do those Hope Fest crusades, they're not a $500 endeavor. We're investing almost $30,000 in one day of crusades to make it done well, to, to carry excellence in everything. 
and to guarantee that we have a large crowd that's going to come in and hear the gospel. So for those of you that partner with this ministry, understand that's where your money's going. Your money's not going so that we can buy Ferraris and Lamborghinis. Your money is going to advance the gospel, advance the kingdom of God. When in two, two Saturdays from now, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday, that's what we're doing. And the reason why I know it's going to be successful is because we're not doing it in vain. How do I not? How do I know we're not doing it in vain? Because Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. So if God was not building his church today, if God had no plans to save anyone today, if God had no plans to advance the kingdom today, we would be building in vain because God's hand wouldn't be in it. But I want to remind you, there's one work that God hand is always in and will never leave until the rapture or until the age is closed up. And that is the work of evangelism, the work of saving the lost at any cost, the work of going into the highways and into the byways and snatching souls out of the grip of the devil and putting them into the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's what Paul said. Paul said the instruction he received from Jesus was, you are my chosen vessel. If you don't feel like you're chosen to advance the kingdom today, then you're just believing the lies of the devil because the same word that Jesus told Paul, Jesus tells you today, you are a chosen vessel. You are not an accident. You weren't placed on this earth for such a time as this by accident you were designedly and strategically put on this green planet for such a time as this a chosen vessel what did Jesus say he was chosen to do to bear his name amongst the Gentiles in the, uh, later chapters of the book of Acts he goes into length as to what Jesus actually said he said I want you to turn people away from the power of darkness to the light and people away turn people away from the power of Satan unto the power of God. That's what the gospel does. The gospel is heaven's system to redirect people away from darkness, away from Satan, away from the devil, away from his lies and deception and towards the cross, towards the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except by me. So that's what we're going out to do. And I know it's going to be successful because Jesus' building hand is in it. He's building it. He's doing it. That's why people ask me, how do you keep a rigorous travel schedule? How do you do all that? I say, it's not me. It's God at work in me and through me to accomplish his good pleasure. Because I'm doing what God wants done on the earth, and I'm tying my hand of labor to his plan for this generation, then it's his spirit that gets it done. It's his spirit that's divinely energizing me to get the work done. Unless the Lord builds the work, those who labor, labor in vain. This is why you have a lot of frustrated Christians. Let me get this. This is going to sting some people, but it needs to be said. You have a lot of frustrated Christians because they're not building what God desires to build on the earth through them. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to go into full-time ministry. Everyone has has to be a prophet, everyone has to be an evangelist, or everybody has to be a pastor. No, I'm not saying that. But there is a specific tailor-made call, vision and dream made for you, that when you plug into that, you can't go on. See, people, they pray and fast for God to bless their plans. Prayer and fasting is not to get God to bless your plans. Prayer and fasting, asking God for power, 
to do something on the earth is, is to find out, locate, identify his plans and then connect yourself to it. I don't want to do my plans. I want to find out his plans because my plans, see a lot of people, they, they, they get a plan and then they ask God to bless it. When in reality, you should just find out what God's plan is and then it's blessed. God's plan is blessed. God's plan doesn't need blessing. It already carries a blessing because you know God's building it. When you don't follow that plan, when you're just, you're just going out doing your own thing, you know, you know, people, this is how they find out what they want to do in life. You know, I, you know I, I, I come from a long line of, you know, architects, and so I just figured I'd do architecture in life. That's not how you're supposed to do, how to identify the plan of God for your life. You don't just go out and, and do anything you see fit to do. You ask, the Bible says in Habakkuk 2, I will watch and stand upon the tower, and I will hear what the Lord will say, and then I'll write the vision down, and I'll run with the vision that I received from heaven. And when you do that, you're not going to labor in vain. You're not going to labor in frustration. You're not going to be laboring. You know, it's like, it's like walking against hurricane-level winds, just blowing you back. When you catch the plan of God, you're catching the wave of God, and that's when you get launched in to untold levels of blessing, peace, joy, and fulfillment that the world can never give you. The world will never give you that. So... Is the church still relevant? That was like a little side note. But is the church still relevant today? I want to read out of Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 1 through 4. Listen, verse 1 through 3. This is what in the New Living Translation what Isaiah says. This is a vision that Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, what days are we in? We're in the last days. The Bible says... In Acts chapter 2, Peter got up and said, in the last days, the Spirit, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. If Acts chapter 2, which was in like, you know, probably the year, uh, it was like 30-something A.D., 33 A.D., 31 A.D., they don't really know exactly what year it is, but it was around that time. If in 30, the 30s A.D., Peter acknowledged those days to be the last days. How much more are we in the last days today, 2022? We're in the last seconds of the last days. So is Isaiah talking about, is Isaiah talking about when we get to heaven here? Is Isaiah talking about, because that's how some people interpret this passage, but it's not. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about, you know, one day when we get to heaven, finally the church will be relevant. Finally the church will have its, its dominion. He's talking about the last days of the church age on the earth. How do we know that? Because let's keep reading. The mountain of the Lord's house. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about the people of God. The, the, you know, oftentimes you'll hear about Zion in the book of Psalms and Isaiah. You hear about this mountain of Zion, that God has redeemed us and, and brought us back unto the holy mountain of Zion. Hebrews 12 talks about us coming back to Zion, to the city of the living God. Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews says, we have all come to Zion. Zion is the church in prophecy in the Old Testament and in Christ fulfilled. 
We, when we get saved and redeemed, born again, we come to Zion. We come, it's the city of God. It's the city of rest. Hebrews 12 goes on to say, it's the city of God. It is the spirits of just men made perfect in heaven. That's you and I. Do you know, you know, every time someone says, how many of us are perfect in this place? Oh, if you lifted your hand, you're a liar. You know, I always lift my hand because I am made perfect because of the blood of Jesus. Now I'm positionally perfect. Now I know I might not, you know, there might be times where I make mistakes and stuff. But that doesn't mean I'm not perfect. Jesus' blood made me perfect. The blood of Jesus makes you perfect. You don't have to strive to be perfect. You, you have been made perfect by the blood of Jesus. It was a perfect sacrifice to create and generate a perfect people in the sight of God. That's good news today. Next time the pastor or whatever says, are there any perfect people here? You should lift your hands and point them. You know, the book of Hebrews says that God has forever perfected. Hallelujah. He has forever perfected those who are being sanctified by faith so there's two things there this is where people get mixed up they think well I'm not perfect because I made a mistake yesterday because you made a mistake does not mean you are a mistake the Bible says he has forever perfected if you are in Christ you have been made perfect in the sight of God and then it goes on to say those who are being sanctified by faith so I'm being sanctified but I'm fully sanctified so Positionally, I am holy, I am righteous, and I am also being made sanctified. Sanctified is a nice King James Version or a theological term for being made perfect, meaning you are being refined day by day. You're coming into conformity into the image of Christ. But it doesn't mean you're not, you are both perfect and you are being made perfect. It doesn't mean you're not perfect. If the Bible says you have been perfected and you are being made perfect. So when we come to Mount Zion, to the mountain of the Lord's house, you have been made clean, pure, spotless, justified, cleansed, and sanctified by the blood of Jesus. And so it says in the last days, those that have come to Mount Zion, this is what the Bible says. The mountain of the Lord's house and those that belong to it, because people think that when Jesus said, I will build my church, he meant I'm going to build a nice building with stained glass windows. He didn't mean that. He said, I'm going to build you. If you belong to the church, God is building you. If you belong to the church, God is building you and using you to build his institution, to build his kingdom on the earth. So we're not talking about a stained glass windowed building. We're not talking about skyscrapers. The city of the living God in this life does not necessarily mean an actual city like New York City. It's saying that he's going to build people that are connected to, to Christ. And it says in the last day, the mountain of the Lord's house, which is you and I, get this, will be the highest of all. Notice how it doesn't say will be the, 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 the runt of the liver. That the mountain of the Lord, the church, is going to be the least relevant place on earth. No, it says it'll be the highest of all. It'll be, listen to this, this is not me, the most important place on earth. It will be raised up above the other hills, all the other organizations, all the other institutions. And people from all over the world will stream there to worship. Hallelujah. The mountain, I'm going to read that again. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. The most important place on earth. 
the most important place. You know what really ticked me off? And this is why I kind of got into this broadcast today is I started to reminisce about 2020 and 2021 and even into 2022, how the church was deemed non-essential. That when they closed down Walmart and Costco and, and, and Target, they included the church as a list of non-essential. Matter of fact, there was a time where Walmart and all the other places were open and the church was still deemed unessential as if getting toilet paper was more important than getting saved. As if getting, uh, a, a, you know, a new vent, a new event for your house or a new library casing was more important than getting healed as if those things took preeminence over the work of the gospel the labor in of the kingdom and that irritated me and it still irritates me today and i want to i you know if ever they try to bring us back into that which happened in 2020 and 2021 that the next time there would actually be not even not even the church contending to stay open just people realizing the church is so essential if there's any place that needs to be shut down it ain't the church the church is relevant today. The church is to be the most influential place on planet earth. The church is to be the place where people flock to in times of trial, in times of stress, and in times of good, in times of prosperity, in times of peace. The Bible says in the last days, which remember the last days are not going to be the most enjoyable times on earth. Paul said difficult times will come on the world. But the Bible says there's a different plan for the church and prophecy. That though there will be difficult times on the earth, though the Bible says men will be boastful, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, the Bible says there'll be even signs in the heavens and there'll be natural disasters on the earth. Luke 21 says the, the sea and the waves will be roaring. You know that tsunamis, the tsunamis that we've been seeing greater and greater, those are all end time uh, prophecies being fulfilled. It says in all that hectic chaos that's going to come on the earth, Isaiah says in the midst of all that, the church will be the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream that of worship. So why is it that we're not seeing that right now? I'll tell you why. Because for many years, a lot of churches, they thought their task was to provide social services, was to provide, you know, just food for the, for the poor, clothes for the naked, and all those things. We're going to get into this. Those things are good. And this ministry provides food for the poor. This ministry clothes the naked. This ministry partners with organizations that get the necessities, the bare necessities into the people's hands. So I'm not discrediting or I'm not saying those are of no value. I'm just trying to bring people back. And especially if you're a minister watching right now, if you're a pastor, an evangelist or whatever, I want to bring you back. I want to pull you back to the actual purpose of the church, to the main reason God instituted this great institution called the church. We were not called to to just build schools and universities and build wells and orphanages and all that stuff around the world and just take, take care of the physical needs of mankind. The church is a special institution anointed by God with special power and anointing. 
And God has instituted us to go about with that anointing and power to preach, to teach, and to heal the sick, restore the downcast. And that's the method God has used to help lost humanity. Understand this. If God needed more doctors to help the world, Jesus would have come down, he would have put on a white lab coat, and he would have gone around as a physician healing the, healing the sick in that way. If God wanted more doctors, that's how Jesus would have operated in his ministry. But Jesus was a preacher. That's what he did. He preached the kingdom, the Bible says. Let me read that for you. Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 3. Matter of fact, let's do Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. So Jesus gets the call to ministry. The Bible says he goes into the wilderness. He's baptized before going into the wilderness. He fasts 40 days and nights, comes back. He gets into the first synagogue since he's, uh, he, he became a preacher. And this is what he says. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'd remind you, actually, if you can share this broadcast, if you just join me right now, share this broadcast, like it if you're on YouTube, and, um, and, and like it on Facebook, and you'll help me a lot by doing that. Luke 4.18, so Jesus comes. And I want to remind you, the book of Luke is written by Luke, and Luke was a physician. And notice how Luke is constantly astonished and baffled by how Jesus operated and helped. I mean, Luke left his medical profession to, to follow Paul, a preacher, because he realized, as, and I'm not saying there's no need for medical ph physicians, and I'm not saying there's no need for doctors. I, I love doctors, because being doctors are on the same page. We want people well. I love, I love medical uh, doctors that have good conscience and are in, have integrity and genuinely want to help people. I'm on board. I'm not criticizing doctors. Luke was a doctor, but I want to point out the fact that as a doctor, he left his medical profession to follow Paul, a preacher, because he realized something that he can better help mankind if he gave himself to the work of ministry. He found out, I am actually more essential, more important, more relevant towards people by doing this work of ministry. This is the highest, highest profession. The highest profession is to carry the gospel message. I'm not saying full-time, if you do something else, that's fine. God's anointed you in, doing, in accounting. God's anointed you to do other things. That's fine. But you still carry the task, the ministry of reconciliation, the Bible says. You are an ambassador for Christ, God pleading through you. And as much as, you know, there's a lot of people, I want to help people. I want to be of assistance. I feel, you know, I have compassion and pity for mankind and, and, and struggle and all that stuff. And I, I just don't know how to plug in. This is the way to plug in. This is what makes the church relevant. It is the message, the timeless, ageless gospel message. And the anointing on the minister that delivers the message. Look at what Jesus said. This is what made Jesus relevant. This is what made people flock to Jesus. This is what even made politicians and governors. You know that when Jesus was arrested, Herod wanted to see him because he had heard such miracles done by him. He wanted to see him for such time. Fame of his name spread abroad. Why is it 
that there's churches in certain towns that if you ask 90% of the people, they don't even know they exist. Why is it that there's churches that are hiding away in, in like a, a, the corner of a city that don't even have a website? There's actual no footprint of them being there. That if you would ask people down the street from them and say, do you know a first assembly of this is down there? They'd say, I never even heard of first assembly because there's no noise. As the church were to be making noise, as the church were to be making impact, as the church, there's supposed to be a draw. And it's not through publications and advertisements and all those things. That's good. There's a church I know, one of the great, the fastest growing churches in America right now. Uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with evangelist John, Jonathan Shuttlesworth, and he has a billboard. I love it. They're really try- they're making noise. They have a billboard right off the airport highway that says the um, Revival Today Church, the home of miracles, breakthroughs, and turnarounds. And it's a picture of their of, of evangelist Jonathan and an, and an address to the church. Like you can't even land in Pittsburgh without knowing about that church. And then you have other churches. Look at this dichotomy. Look at the contrast. You have that, they're going through great lengths to get the message out, and then you have other churches that don't even, they don't have a website, they don't have an Instagram account, they don't have anything. On Sunday morning, it's just three, it's the same exact structure, three songs, offering and announcements, one more song, preacher comes up, 30 minutes, gives an altar call uh, for people that, not even an altar call to get people saved, just an altar call for people that need prayer today, just come present yourself, blow each other's nose at the altar, send them on their way, we'll see you next week. You expect God to actually build something like that? Jesus came with a message. He didn't come to fill time. He was the eternal one. He didn't care about time, he didn't come to fill time. He didn't come. To, to scratch the itching ears. He didn't come to give out nice little cute sermons. How to live at peace in this world. How to better yourself. This I'm not kidding. These are the types of sermons that are being preached today. And then you wonder why they're not relevant. You wonder why. There's, they're, they're totally relegated to the back of the back of society's hierarchy. You wonder why then afterwards. Why you... People have no respect, no honor for the church. You know, that's why the Bible prophesies in the last days, there'll be mockers of the church. I don't want to be. I don't want to be some non-relevant entity on the earth. I want to be relevant as a ministry. CNN can mock a powerless church. CNN can mock a church that just blends in with every other religious institution. CNN can mock and, and say whatever they want against a church that carries no power, that has a form of godliness. Paul said, do not be one who holds a form of godliness, but you have no power. I'm all for preaching love. I'm all for preaching uh, peace. And I'm all for preaching those things. But I'm not going to just hold to the principles of Jesus and not carry the power of Jesus that's able to set people free. There's a lost, dying, sighing, crying humanity out there and there's no way out through medical field. There's no way out through of the prison cell of sin through psychiatry and psychology. Psychology. There's no way out of the prison, prison cell of sin in universities and academia. 
The problem has always been sin. The prison cell has always been sin. The solution has always been the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the blood that breaks the chains of the enemy, turns people from the power of the devil unto the power of God where they can then experience peace, freedom, health, strength, prosperity, and salvation and eternity. Hallelujah. So Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me, and this is where I want to get at today. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is what makes us relevant. I was watching a man of God by the name of Rodney Howard Brown in the month of July. And I remember him doing, he was doing a youth conference. Now understand this, this man is 62 years old, I believe. He comes from South Africa. He grew up in a totally different generation. He, he grew up in a, a very different generation, very different values, and everything was different in, in, in his generation growing up. And I watched him as he ministered to the youth in a youth camp. And he just preached a very simple message on the power of God and the, the, the fire of God and how you can have a, an encounter with God today. And when he gave, I never saw this in all my years of being in church. I never saw this. And I'm starting to pray that this would begin to happen in my meetings. These are youth, right? Tired from youth camp all day. People who had been running and having color wars and all that. If they had any reason to just not respond to the altar, it was that day. It was a fun-packed day. But here you have youth being spoken to by a 62-year-old man who in the flesh has zero in common with them other than they're in Florida. And he gives an altar call for those, after he preached, for those who desire to have a, an encounter with God. And I've never seen this. They literally got up. And first of all, before he even gave the call, there were kids weeping under the power of God. Power of God sweeping over that entire place. And I, I literally saw this with my own eyes. They got up out of their chairs and ran to the altar. And get this, pushing people out of the way to get to the altar. Hunger. You want to know what Reinhard Bonnke used to say? You don't have to convince a starving man to eat bread. You don't have, bread is relevant to a starving man. You don't have to present it in a certain way. You don't give bread to a starving person and the starving person say, hey, I really didn't like the way it was presented tonight. I really wish that they would use different words. I didn't like the music in the restaurant while I was eating the bread. When you're starving, you'll eat anything. Anything tastes good. You'll even eat three-day-old stale bread when you're starving. When someone carries the anointing, they don't need to look, you know, I wish, it's not like the youth were there like, you know, I'd really respond to this altar call today if only that he had ripped jeans, if only he had a soy latte in his hand. Man, I really would connect with this minister a little more if only he had a fedora on his head with a feather coming out. I really would, would connect with this guy if he was just a little younger and he had 
he had cool slang terms and he made more references to Xbox and Halo then I would understand his message no that wasn't the case they had zero in the natural to communicate and connect on but the anointing made that man relevant to the people there when you carry the bread of heaven which is the gospel of salvation which is the anointing of the Holy Ghost you don't have to look relevant you don't have to be a certain color to appeal to certain people you know when I go and do crusades out in Saskatchewan and the majority of the demographic that are out to hear me are First Nation people, Cree people from the Cree Nation. They don't care that I'm not Cree. They don't care that I'm not First Nation. They don't care of what my ancestors or whatever happened between because I am anointed, they come. They rush to that altar. They want to have an encounter with the power of God. They believe the message. Faith rises up and as a, as a result, there's no natural form of persuasion that I can bring on them. The anointing is all that is needed to persuade them to come to Jesus on that given day. And this is where politicians get confused when you have a church that is anointed, that on the outside, the building doesn't look nice. On the outside, it's like you go into the church, the sanctuary is just like a gym. Like my church right now, we're building right now. This sanctuary looks like a gym. But why are we bursting at the seams? Why do we have no room to put people anymore on Sunday morning? Why is it that we have to like, I mean, we're, we're trying to build our sanctuary. It's going to be done by 2023 and we'll have 800 chairs or 750 chairs. But why is it that now we have no room to put anybody? Because, not because, they don't come to Good News Chapel in Montreal because it's the nicest building in the city. It looks like a warehouse from the outside. They don't come to Good News Chapel because the lights and everything are the best. In our current situation in our gym, we don't even have the ability to create those nice flashing light shows and all that. They don't come to Good News Chapel because, you know, we serve the best coffee, although our coffee is very good. They come because there is an environment conducive for the power of God to flow in any given service and people from all backgrounds, all nations, all colors, all languages, all tribes, all nations come and flock together to hear the word of God from my pastor's mouth, to receive an encounter with God, to get saved, to be healed. We provide an environment of feasting on the blessing of God. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. You think someone who's in captivity to sin, drug addiction, pornography, wants to come to a service and hear your point of view on the, the, the comparisons between the Lord of the Rings and the gospel. Do you think he wants to hear that? No. He, want, he, doesn't want, he doesn't care about how close the Sea of Galilee was to Jerusalem or where geographically Capernaum is placed. Or they don't care about how long the road to Emmaus was. They don't care about these things. You know, well, before I get into today's message, I'm just going to get into the context of, and then just go on to like, 
I'm not against context. I study and I know context and I do all that. But ultimately on a Sunday morning or anytime you have the audience's ear and attention, they, there's people there behind every pew is a broken heart and they don't want to know the distance between Capernaum and Caesarea Philippi. They don't want to know what Philip did before he became an evangelist. They don't want to know how, uh, what the climate was on the day that Paul preached his famous sermon to the island of Malta. They want to know how can I come out of my situation? How can I connect with heaven's power and have that affect me? How can I restore my marriage? How can I be healed if I'm sick? How can I break this bondage of depression off my life? How can I be delivered of evil spirits? More than ever, people need deliverance. More than ever, people are oppressed and demonized by evil spirits, tormenting spirits, afflicting spirits. You know, look at this in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, listen to this. Matthew 4 and 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and diseases amongst the people. So you want, now you know why his fame went throughout. His fame went throughout all Syria, the Bible says. Well, it's no wonder. It's the healing anointing. It's the manifestation of miracles and, and the power of the Spirit that will cause the fame of the church to spread. That's what brought people to Jesus. Miracles will bring people to the door of the church so that we now have an audience whereby we can share the gospel of salvation. Miracles. That's how... Anyone ever hear of John Osteen, who founded Lakewood Church? John Osteen in Houston, Texas. If you ever watch his, his early beginnings, you want to know why his church grew to 5,000, 10,000, 20,000? It wasn't because he, he, he preached nice little secret sensitive messages. He was a Holy Ghost, raw fire of God preacher who preached on the gifts of the Spirit, who preached on miracles, who preached in the baptism on the, of the Spirit, and who openly on television, live TV, would minister in the gifts of the Spirit. You want to know why his church exploded? His daughter was born with cerebral palsy, couldn't move her uh, under her neck. She was immobile. The doctor said she'll never walk. Power of God hit her one day and she began to have sensation in her feet again as a little baby. Was, and they, her feeling came back to her feet. News spread. People started to come. Then there was a man in the church that was a paralyzed man in a wheelchair for many years. I think he had gotten into an accident or something. And one Sunday, miracle working power of God hit him. And he got up out of the wheelchair and began to run, not walk. Not like this whole thing like, oh, they, he stood up, but he went back into his wheelchair. But we know a miracle started. No, I mean like a genuine Book of Acts miracle. The guy got up out of his wheelchair and ran. And everyone knew about him. Ran across the sanctuary. You know, it's hard to keep people out of church when they start to see that our God is not a fairy tale. Our God's not Snow White. Our God's not philosophy. Our God God's not a crutch that we lean on to get us through the tough battles of life. Our God is a living God who the Bible says has power in heaven and on earth. And nothing is too impossible for him. He still heals the sick. He still opens blind eyes. He still unstops deaf ears. He still does the humanly impossible to prove to this generation on planet earth that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And there's no other way to God except by him. Bible says his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who, see what happened? 
healed a few sick people, and now everyone is bringing their sick. And all that were afflicted with various diseases and torments, those that were tormented by demon spirits. And the Bible says those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them all, and great multitudes followed him. Well, you know, I really would have followed Jesus that day, but, you know, after I saw that he had just like a robe on and he rode a donkey, you know, he didn't have the specific car that I like. And he just had like a, a one seamless robe. It wasn't anything to look at. Had no rips in it. Didn't look like the Yeezy line. Didn't have the Kanye West feel to it. So I, you know, I really would have followed him. And, you know, I'm depressed and I need healing. But you know what? After seeing his outfit, I'm totally against it. You didn't see that? You didn't see? Matter of fact, the Bible says this, Jesus didn't even go to university to study. You know, I really would have gone to that pastor's church and listened to him preach, but you know what? He didn't go to, he didn't go to the Bible college. He didn't go to Dallas Theological Seminary. And, uh, you know, so he doesn't seem to be the most educated person. The Bible says, the Pharisees looked at him and said, how did this man know letters having never studied? They looked at Jesus and the Bible says they were perplexed and astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one carrying real power and authority and not like the scribes. They didn't care about what he looked like, what he smelled like. You know, that John the Baptist guy, you want to talk about being relevant? You couldn't have done more to be irrelevant and look like a nutcase than John the Baptist did. Locusts and wild honey, and then he's clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around. The guy looked like he should have been in an insane asylum. But there was something on his preaching that drew the crowns in. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 3. In those days... Matter of fact, let's, let's read it from, I think in Mark's, or Luke's version is, is better. Luke chapter 3. Had zero in the flesh to relate to his people. Luke chapter 3. And he went out into the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make his, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Skip the verse 7. Then he said to the multitudes that were coming out to be baptized by him. Multitudes came out to be baptized by John. They were flocking to him to the point where even Jerusalem and the temple Leaders had to send people to John to scout out what was going on because there were so, they, it was so evident and notable. They couldn't, it was not out of sight, out of mind. It was in sight and in mind. They didn't say, well, John smelt a little bad. You know, I really would have got him baptized, but I didn't want to get so close to him. No, he had power in his preaching. He was anointed of heaven. The Bible says of all the Old Testament prophets, there was none as anointed as John the Baptist was. So they, they flocked to him. Look at, I want to read this, Mark chapter 1. I was reading this earlier. It's astonishing. Read Mark chapter 1 and 2 today if you have, when you have time. And I want you to take note of all the times the Bible says, and multitudes came out to hear him, or multitudes came to see him. Listen to this. And John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance and the remission of sins. And the people didn't go anywhere near because he talked on sin. You know, we don't say sin in our churches. You know, we'd rather you use the word error or mistakes or wrong things. or We, we just don't use the word sin. They came, all the land of Judea, and those from Jerusalem went out to John and were bat all the land. 
went out to see John and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The greatest lie that the devil has pitched preachers in our generation is that if you preach on sin, you'll actually repel the crowds. What a lie! The truth is, when you preach on sin and repentance and holiness, you'll actually attract people in because people know there's something wrong. People can sense the sin nature. People know there's depravity within themselves and they want to know the way out. And only the gospel tells people to repent and believe on the gospel for the remission of your sins and then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. So the truth is, is that preaching on repentance and sin actually draws people in. It actually makes you relevant and important. People want to be told what to do. God designed us to want to be told, receive instructions. We want to be told what to do. We don't want to be lost. And sin causes confusion. It causes losslessness. It causes total depravity. And we think we're doing people a service because we're not offending them. We'd like, we would hate to talk about homosexuality. We'd hate to talk about uh, a sex out of marriage. We'd hate to talk about all those things because you know what? There's a brother Tommy on the first row and he's a really big giver to our ministry. But you know what? He also, uh, he also he's not living with um, his wife right now. He's actually cheating on her and he's out with another woman. Uh, but we're not going to address that from the pulpit because we don't want to lose his tithe. It actually so. So who do you serve? Because Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. You'll be loyal and love the one and hate the other. You'll despise the other. So who do you serve? Do you think I preach? Brother, you shouldn't say that on YouTube because you might be demonetized. Demonetize me. You think I make my, you think YouTube is my source? Do you think I, I'm going around trying to please YouTube? Did Galatians 1 said, hey, brethren, if you're still, uh, you should strive to please YouTube because then you're a servant of the Most High. Or does the Bible say in Galatians 1, if I was still striving to please men and corporations, then I would not be a servant of the Lord God. Jesus said, if you're loved by everybody, woe unto you. You're doing everything wrong. So when I mean relevant, I don't mean you're loved by everybody. You'll be hated by some. But there will be people, like I said before, you don't have to advertise bread to a starving person. They will come and eat. And that's who we gear our ministry to. Jesus did not gear his ministry towards people who thought they had it all together. Jesus did not gear. You want to know why the church in many places has lost its relevancy? It doesn't seem as it's essential. It doesn't, because they're gearing it to the wrong people. They're trying to secure the approval of politicians and government people and the rich and the affluent of society when those people don't give a rat's tuchus about you who we should be gearing our ministry to and who Jesus geared his ministry to was to the lost and to the broken, to the outcast, to the downcast, to people that had been abandoned and totally set aside, discarded and disregarded from society. He said, go to the lame, go to the maimed, go to the broken. Don't do your crusades in Hollywood, where Hollywood, they're not going to show up. Do your crusades in Compton. Do your crusades in Park X. Do your crusade in the areas of the, of the cities where the government has totally spat on those places. That's who Jesus 
Jesus would be ministering to, and that's why he would be relevant today. And you want to know what's funny? The world and politicians use this when election time comes around. Because when election time comes around, guess who they gear their advertisement and marketing to? They gear it to the inner city folk. They, they know that that's who Judges the, the election. They know that's where the most, there's, there, the poor is always going to outnumber the rich. They're always going to outnumber the rich. The people that are less fortunate will always outnumber those that are more fortunate. Jesus said the poor you'll always have with you. So they gear it towards them. They start campaigning. They go to the hood. And then guess when the next time they go to the hood is? Four years later when they need your vote again. They're using it to manipulate and bully people. And the church has to adapt to that mindset, not to manipulate and bully. We should be gearing all our energy, time, and efforts towards those who are less fortunate, those that are downcast, those that have been neglected and thrown aside. Not to get their vote, not to get their money, not to persuade them to a certain thing other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is what Jesus did. Listen to this. I want you to get this in your spirit. They went into Capernaum and immediately into the synagogue and he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having exousia, real power and authority, and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, shut up and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? With authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. Why is the church still relevant? Because Jesus is still in the business of casting out demons. Because Jesus never said cast out demons until the Bible comes and then we believe in cessationism after that. We don't cast out demons anymore. Those things were all just fairy tale, primitive things. Notice how Jesus, when the demon manifested, Jesus didn't say, hey, 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 hey. Now, y'all know this, you've, you've heard that this was a, demon per, a demonized person that's manifesting right now, but I want you to know this is not that. This is actually a chemical imbalance in his brain. He's suffering with paranoid schizophrenia and split personality disorder. So Luke, Luke, where are you, Luke? Get over here. We're going to prescribe him some antidepressants that I have formed and fashioned in my own lab. Where You know, Jesus didn't do that. He, 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 didn't, he didn't ignore the fact that demons exist. He cast out the demons and gave the man total freedom. Mark 16, go ye therefore and preach the gospel into all the world. And he didn't just say preach the gospel. Why is the church still relevant today? Because we're not tasked with the command to just preach the gospel. We are tasked then to, in my name, cast out demons. You start casting out demons, I tell you. You ain't going to have enough room to hold people in your church that are going to come. 
Because everybody knows someone, if they're not demonized, they know someone that is. They know someone that's suffering at the hands of the devil. They know somebody that they've brought to psychiatrists and all kinds of psychologists and they've prescribed everything. They've done shock therapy, but it's not worked. And so they know that there's something spiritual about this. They know there's a, 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 a power behind this, a demon dark power behind it. And so they'll flock to you. You want to know why Lester Summerall was so powerful in his ministry, so invasive wherever he went? Because he cast out demons. He cast out demons. He didn't ignore the reality of demon power. He confronted it with the power of the gospel. I remember him telling a story. There was a lady, a young missionary teenage girl. She might have been like 18, 19. And she went, oh, this was like years ago, hundred, like, like maybe 50, not 100 years ago, maybe like 80 years ago, 70 years ago. She went to a, I, I don't know if it was like Java or Indonesia. She went to a remote village and she felt by the spirit that God was going to use her to plant a church there. She said, I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. But she was obedient to make herself there. And when she got there and started to teach and preach the gospel, the witch doctor came out of that specific village and territory and said, hey, this town ain't big enough for the both of us, so get out. And she said, I'm not leaving. So he said, well, then I challenge you to a, a contest of power, just like Elijah and the prophets of Baal had on Mount Carmel. I challenge you to a contest of power. And her sweet little girl didn't understand what she was getting into. She said, well, yes, uh, sure. And he's like, okay, Wednesday, 12 p.m., we'll meet you in the, in the village square. So they went there, and, and uh, she really didn't know what she was going to do. She had no clue what contest of power even meant. So the witch doctor said, I'm going to go first. He lied on the floor, and he began to close his eyes and levitate. His whole body just levitated about three feet off the ground. And she's like, Lord, I don't know how to do that, and there's no promise I can stand on to do that. Uh, what am, I'm going to lose this battle. you got to tell me what to do. Give me wisdom here. The Lord spoke to her right in that moment and said, go put your foot on his chest and slam him to the ground. So she went and he was doing his little gig and she took her right foot, put it on his chest and slammed him to the ground. Slammed him to the ground. That moment, he like, he just like passed out. It looked like he had died. A couple of minutes later, he got back up. The whole village had like a sigh of awe, of astonishment just went through the crowd because they didn't, they never seen anyone treat that guy like that. And she, they thought like she's going to pay for that. The guy gets up about like half an hour later in a daze and confusion, not knowing where he was. And he said, what, where am I? She said, you were the witch doctor in this region and all that. And, and she told the story what happened. She, he led him to Christ that very, that very uh, day. And then the man, because he still had influence, because people, you know, he might not have known what he was doing, but everyone saw him as an influential character. He used his influence and said this, listen to everything this lady has to say. And the whole village came to her. Her, her church was built. Her church grew. Her church had influence. People from surrounding regions came to see her. So you saw just one deliverance session of a man who was fully demonized, brought the crowds in. That's what made, that's one of the reasons Jesus had one problem in his entire ministry, and that was finding room to put everyone that came. Verse 32, listen to this. At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city had gathered together at the door. They heard about what the men manifesting in the synagogue, how he'd been delivered. The fame began to spread, and the next time Jesus gets up to preach, the whole city 
start to believe God for that again? I'm tired of these cheap prayers. Lord, just draw in the few. Why draw in the few? Father, anoint me with heavy power to go about doing these works that Jesus said I would do in greater works. And as I go, let fame of your name spread and let entire cities, entire regions, entire nations be brought to the feet of Jesus The whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he didn't allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out to a solitary place and there he prayed. He just wanted to get away. He wanted some downtime. He wanted some rest time. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. He couldn't get away. And when they found him, this is what they said. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Everyone. He, the Bible says in Mark, listen to this, when he cleansed the leper in Mark 40, Mark 140, Mark 145, Jesus, Jesus had told the leper, don't, he, he's like, don't tell anybody what happened. Isn't it funny that Jesus was telling people, don't tell people what happened here because, you know, they, wanted, they would want to make him king right on the spot and that wasn't his call for that moment. Don't tell anyone. And what did he go out to do? However, he went out, began to proclaim it freely. Now, we tell people, go and proclaim it freely. And what do people do? I'm shy. I don't know what they're saying. Don't be ashamed for what Jesus did for you. Don't be ashamed of your testimony. Don't be ashamed of God's words in this generation. No matter what CNN tries to do to try and make you ashamed, try and make you feel uh, uh feel like funny about it, make you feel like you're uneducated for believing in Jesus. Don't be a, Paul said I'm not, Paul was one of the most brilliant minds of his day. And he even got accused by King Agrippa who said, much learning has driven you mad. You've gone insane. You know what Paul said? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of my testimony. I'm not ashamed of what Jesus did for me. There's too many Christians that are ashamed of what Jesus did for them. When I was at my lowest, why am I not ashamed of Jesus? Because when I I was at my lowest. Everybody abandoned me. Doctors couldn't help me. Medicine couldn't do anything for me. Psychiatry couldn't give me and prescribe me a pill to break me out. There was nothing that could have helped me, but there was Jesus who stuck closer to me than a brother and his helping hand was a very present help in times of trouble he sustained me he delivered me he restored me he healed me he saved me he forgave me and here I stand not by power or by might but by his spirit and so I'm not gonna keep quiet I don't care if they mock me I don't care if they say all kinds of evils against me I don't care if they write hit pieces on me I don't care if they write if they put out YouTube videos, TJ Malkanji exposed. I don't care because they weren't there at my darkest hour, but Jesus was. They went out and proclaimed it freely and Jesus could not anymore openly enter the city, but he was outside in desert places. And that's when his ministry just sifted out and that concludes the ministry of Jesus. No, he was outside in desert places And it didn't matter. They came to him from every direction because he was healing the sick. They were having miracles. They came to him from every direction. Mark 2, verse 1. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that we was in the house. And immediately many gathered together. Wait, Jesus is there? I'm there. 
Jesus is in that house, I'm there. They could no longer receive him, receive them, the people, the crowds, not even near the door. Not even near the door. You know, Bishop Oyedepo, the Lord spoke to him. I want you to plan. He was in Lagos, Nigeria. The Lord said, which is a major city in Nigeria, the biggest city in Nigeria. It's the capital. And the Lord said, go to Ota, Nigeria, which is like two hours outside the city. And if you don't know this, I learned this recently. Nigerian traffic is atrocious. It's awful. I mean, like you can be five hours in traffic for a 45-minute drive. It's insane. There's so many people. It's, it's like an overpopulated city. So when the Lord said, go to Ota, Nigeria, which is like two hours outside of Lagos, with the idea of the traffic level, he's like, Lord, he, he thought it was insane. He said, Lord, nobody will come. You know what the Lord spoke to him? He said, make the grass green and the sheep will come. So he obeyed the Lord. He went, is the bush of Africa. They, Bishop Oyedepo said, it was like the capital of witchcraft too. There, there was nothing that grew there. It was a wilderness. And the Lord said, plant your church there. Make oasis in the wilderness. He went in obedience. Now his church has a 50,000-seater auditorium, which they can't have anymore. They're actually building a 112,000-seater auditorium right next door, and they're going to use the 50,000 for overflow because every Sunday they have 50,000 people show up five times for five services and oftentimes almost 100,000 people in overflow. They have over 1 million people present themselves every month. At that church. Hallelujah. People didn't care. They moved to Ota, Nigeria. When you're hungry, you don't, you don't care if you have to drive a little more for food. A starving man will drive for food. A starving man, a starving person, one who is sincerely seeking after food, will relocate, will transport himself to where the food is at. Bible says he was in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. A church is to be seen and felt. Should be commanding presence. So is the church still relevant today? The genuine church of Jesus Christ? is still very relevant today because miracles and manifestation of the spirit make the church ageless its message timeless and its usefulness constant through the ages i don't care about having a good relationship with the mayor jesus didn't have a good relationship with politicians in his day herod sent to fetch him and jesus said go and tell that fox i'm casting out demons today and i heal the sick tomorrow and on the third day i'll be raised up I want to read one more scripture, and then we're going to pray. Acts chapter 14, and verse 8. And at Lystra, a certain man without straining his feet was sitting, a crippled from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him, first time he ever hears the gospel, this guy. Paul observed him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Remember, Jesus told his disciples, he sent them to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick. It's the twofold 
purpose of a minister and of a Christian. We're not sent just to preach. We're sent to heal the sick. That's not an option. That's not an option. I, I quoted it before, and I'll quote it again. Dag Heward Mills. Dag Heward Mills, who's one of the great evangelists of our day, he said this. He said, it is not the provision of social services like schools and universities that will make the church useful to a nation. The church is a special institution anointed by God with special power. And he has chosen preaching and healing and his, as his method for healing lost humanity. So God chose preaching and healing. If you neglect the healing part, you're not going to have the, the results that we see in the book of Acts. Listen to this. Jesus, uh, Paul is preaching and obviously he's speaking about healing because the man had faith to be healed. Doesn't say he had faith to be saved. Doesn't say he had faith to, he said he had faith to be healed. So Paul's gospel included healing. And he, Paul said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped up and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised up. So listen, this is the reaction of the crowds. They raised up their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They perceived the authenticity. They perceived deity at work because of the results of Paul's ministry. And it drew them to Paul. Paul did the right thing and he said, Man, why are you doing these things? We are men with the same nature as you and we're just preaching to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they, can scare, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So they got everyone to believe in the gospel because of that healing anointing at work, because of the, the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit at work in Paul's ministry. I, I, the thumbnail on this broadcast is I want to be relevant. How about you? Do you want to be relevant? It's not going to be because you speak nicely. It's not going to be because you dress a certain way. It's not going to be because, you know, people always ask me, I want to, you know, my relatives, they don't want anything to do with the Lord. What can I do to help them believe or whatever? It's certainly not going to be through human forms of persuasion. It's not going to be because you drive a nice car or whatever. The only way to relate to these people, even if in the natural, there's nothing relative between you and them. What makes me relate with a homeless man? Nothing except that the gospel, the Bible says he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And so the gospel brings a connection. It tells him, you don't have to stay like this. You can be forgiven, and God will lift you up out of the dunghill and seat you amongst princes. You can have your dignity restored in Christ. I want, I want you to write that in the comment section. People are already doing it. I want you to, to join them and say, I want to be relevant. And it's the power of God that's going to make you relevant. It's miracles that make you relevant. 
Because people don't care. People don't care about how you look, the color of your skin. If you show power in the name of Jesus, they're going to want to follow that Jesus. They don't care about the size of your church and all that. They don't care about the, the nice lights in your church. They, if you show power, Jesus had no outward appearance that was comely, the Bible says. Nothing in the outward appearance drew people to Jesus. But the Holy Ghost in Christ, Jesus said, the Father who doeth the works, they bear witness of me. The greatest witness you'll ever have is the Father's works which is miracles, signs, wonders, deliverance, and healing. I want to pray for you today, for all those that are watching, that God will make you relevant by clothing you with power. This is why Jesus said, hey, disciples, I know you're very zealous and fervent now to get out and tell people about me, but don't leave Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And then, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Father, I pray for everyone watching right now. The name of Jesus Christ. Make them relevant by clothing them with your power now. Clothe us with supernatural power. And give us boldness as you did in the book of Acts by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. As you did for those disciples in the book of Acts who spoke the word with confidence and boldly in the Lord. And while you worked with them or through them, extending your hand to heal the sick. And that mighty signs and wonders were done in your name through their hands. I pray in Jesus' name. Let power. Holy Ghost, Book of Acts power, be evidently displayed through our lives. Notable miracles to begin right now. In Jesus' name. Father, as they step out in obedience to lay hands on the sick, let the sick be recovered. As they step out in obedience to cast out demons in your name, let the demonized be set free. As they step out to lay hands on people. Let miracles, signs, and wonders be the result that all this generation would know that our God is alive and well. That the miracles produced would authenticate the message that we carry in Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. Speaking of miracles, I just got testimony yesterday. A lady out in North Carolina wrote to my wife. She had had a child and then after that could not conceive after many years of trying and frustration, couldn't conceive. And I remember this. In North Carolina at a church, St. Paul's, North Carolina, I had called her out into uh, the... Uh, I Actually, no, I felt in my spirit. I said, there's a lady here. You're believing God for the fruit of the womb. I want you to, to lift your hand and come forward. She, she was the only one that did that. Lifted her hand and came forward. And she started tearing up. And I prayed over her belly. And I said, in Jesus' name, I command fruitfulness in this womb and I told her which I, I don't think I've ever told anybody this maybe once and it happened then but I felt the unction to say it again I said by this time next year you'll have a child you'll have a baby in your arms well my wife just got a message yesterday she's pregnant now she's conceived 
after many years of trying, conceived supernaturally. That's a modern day miracle. That's not a miracle of, of 1843. This is like July 30th this happened or July 31st. God's still doing this. You think now when she goes and tells her family, hey, you guys want to come to church after hearing that testimony? If they're like, no, it's not very relevant. She finds people that are believing God for the fruit of the womb and tells the testimony. The gospel is relevant to them. She won't have a problem. She won't have a problem bringing them in. That's right, just like Elisha did. Just like Elisha did. That's what made Elisha. Elisha looked like a nutcase. Elijah looked like a nutcase. What made him so relevant that even the king and the governors feared him? Why did Samuel the prophet, when he came to anoint David in Bethlehem, the whole town came out and, and were afraid of Samuel and said, Samuel, have you come here in peace? He carried such a weight of presence because of, of the hand of God on his life. We don't have the hand of God on our lives. We have the Holy Ghost within us. We don't have just God around us. We have God within us. And I'm going to remind you of Isaiah 2. Shall come to pass in the last days that the mountains of the Lord's house will be the most important place on earth. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.